Let's try this. I struggle with it. You struggle with it. Everybody struggles with it. It's called insecurity. And today in 1 Kings chapter 12, we look at two guys who really did not handle their own insecurities very well at all. The kingdom of Israel divides at 1 Kings 12. And from this point on, our study breaks down into the study of two kingdoms. Both are two options for your life when you're dealing with insecurity and how you're going to find your identity. Today, I'm glad to welcome you into the deep dive Bible study on the Kings of Compromise. Let's go. So we are in part 12 of our study through first and second Kings. I trust, I pray that this so far has been a benefit to you. Uh, my name is Tim, and it is the Tim Hatch Live channel, and if you would hit that subscribe button, if this content blesses you and helps you, I look forward to providing more and more of it for you here on the channel. Last night, deep end. Tonight, Wednesday night, 7.30 every week, hopefully, well, mostly every week, we do the deep dive Bible study. Long-form Bible study, giving us a chance to go through the books of the Bible that you probably don't get studied through on your Sunday morning event at your church and so I love to bring this content to you. Let's take a look at uh, through the text and we'll get into the Bible outline. But like I love to do before we approach God's word, let's pray. Father, lead us, guide us. We submit ourselves to you and to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go through the text. First uh, Kings 12 chapter outline, we've got for, uh, verses 1 to 15, Rehoboam, who is Solomon's son, makes a stupid leadership move, and we're going to talk about that. And then uh, Act 2, if you will, is verses 16 to 24, a nation almost goes to war, God prevents it, and then the last act, verses 25 to 33, is Jerome, uh, Jeroboam's false religion that he starts in uh, response to God giving him 10 tribes of Israel. Now, really what we're going to see is that this is a lesson in insecurity. Really, I, when I looked at this chapter, I looked at it from like a 30,000 foot view, which is, okay, we're seeing the facts of the reality that Rehoboam is a fool. He plays a fool. He's a child. He acts like a child. And we're going to see how that happens in just a moment. But then if you dig deeper, you see that this is a young guy. This is a young king who's been handed the kingdom. He's young, I say relatively young, 41 years old. To me, he's young, <laughs> 46. So he's still young. He's new to the kingdom. He's Solomon's son. And I'm sure he was doubting himself left, right, and center. That's what happens when we uh, take on new responsibilities, new jobs, new realities. Someone might be listening to me right now and you've just started a job and you feel totally inadequate for the job. Well, you know what you're dealing with? You're dealing with insecurity. Someone might be listening to me right now and you just got engaged and you feel like, whoa, what am I going to do now? I'm going to marry this girl or I'm going to marry this guy. And what is our life going to look like? Well, you're really just dealing with insecurity. Some of you might have just gotten married and you're starting to work out those, you know, conflicts that young married people experience. And 
really what you're dealing with is insecurity. This person has come in and they have invaded my life, if you will. Uh, what am I going to do? And then some of you have taken on a new job. Uh, you've moved to a new area. You have stepped out in faith, maybe, and you've gone to do something that you've never done before. And right now you are dealing with, you, you can call whatever it is that you think you're dealing with. What you're really dealing with is you don't think you're up to the task. And I want to say you came to the right episode of the deep dive because that's exactly what we see here as we get down deep into this text and see how Rehoboam reacts to his newfound calling and purpose. And Jeroboam also responds to his newfound calling and purpose. And if you feel like you're in over your head, I would like to caution you and then comfort you. Caution. Be aware that this is where the devil is going to try to mess with you. He will be paying attention. I'm, now, it might not be the devil devil. When I say the devil, I'm talking about you know, the general horde of evil spirits that are all around us in the unseen realm, which Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6, which Jesus rebuked and cast out. There is an unseen realm. There is a spiritual realm. There are spiritual demons that speak to us and try to you know, de depress us and discourage us, discourage us. So your assigned, if you will, demon... Uh, that has been assigned to you, um, has been watching your life, has been seeing you take that chance, take that leap, make that decision, go into that new season of life. And he is ready with guns loaded to throw at you every reason why you are going to fail, why you don't have what it takes, why you're unqualified. And then he's going to offer you some options, some options that are less than godly ungodly really and they could really hurt you long term as we're going to see in Israel and Judah the two kingdoms of Israel at this point and so that's the caution here's the comfort the gospel sets us free from insecurity the gospel sets us free from needing to defend ourselves prove ourselves support ourselves define ourselves celebrate ourselves because the gospel first annihilates self by saying you're not good you're evil you're bent towards sin you're unrighteous, you're unholy. And so our, the weight of sin, when we really grasp the weight of sin in our life, it crushes our, our pride, it crushes our self-reliance, our self-love, if you will, so that we can turn to the one who infinitely loves us perfectly, that is Jesus Christ. And the gospel of salvation resurrects us to new life in Christ, a life no longer defined by what we do and achieve and have and accomplish, but by God's unending, permanent love toward us. So that is my prayer as we dive into this. Let's get into 1 Kings chapter 12, and let's read verse 1 right off the bat here. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And as soon as Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled from King Solomon, then Jeroboam returned from Egypt. Two characters we are introduced right off the bat. Rehoboam, that is Solomon's son, and again, 41 years old. And then Jeroboam, who, if we remember, was promised the kingdom, or at least a portion of the kingdom, 10, 10 tribes of the kingdom, by God's prophet, because Solomon had led Israel into idolatry and the people started to sacrifice in high places and, and, and everybody was kind of, you know, abandoning the Lord, God decided to bring, to bring judgment upon Israel 
and the house of David by taking away 10 of the tribes. First Kings chapter 11, verse 30 tells us this, that Ahijah laid hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I'm going to give you uh, 10 tribes. So that's how that goes down. And God kind of prefaced this. He told Jeroboam this. This is what's going to happen. So Rehoboam is now king. Jeroboam is in exile in Egypt. And then when Rehoboam takes the throne, the first order of business for him is, is he, he goes to Shechem. Why Shechem? Because Shechem is in the midst of the northern tribes of Israel. So those 10 tribes that are going to be handed to Jeroboam, they're not yet, they're going to be handed to Jeroboam. They are in the northern section of the land of Israel, the, the geography of Israel. Judah and Benjamin kind of to the south. Uh, Benjamin will have this, you know, halfway kind of relationship between both kingdoms. It will more often align with Judah, but it kind of slides back and forth. But anyway, that's why sometimes the text says 10 tribes. Sometimes it says uh, 11 tribes. Just understand that there's a bunch of Benjamins in, in every generation. They go back and forth between real faith and, you know, false faith. So anyway, Rehoboam goes to Shechem. And the reason why is because Shechem is an important location. It is, again, in the center of the northern tribes. Number Two, it is where Abraham first arrived in the promised land. Number three, it's where Joseph's bones are buried. Joseph, who led Israel through the famine in Egypt and then asked them, look, when I die, please take my bones and bring them with you into the promised land so that I don't get buried in Egypt. So Joseph's bones are there. That is uh, Jacob's precious chosen son, right? It's where Joshua renews the covenant uh, with the people of Israel in Joshua chapter 24. It's where he said the famous phrase, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This all happens in Shechem. Uh, it's 40 miles north of Jerusalem. And it is, again, the heart of what will become the northern kingdom. And so what you get here is Rehoboam is already a little bit concerned about his status with these other northern tribes. He has not heard that God is going to hand Jeroboam 10 tribes, but he can feel it. And I think that we all go through this. We can feel like something's not right with a relationship, with a situation, and we are not comfortable. And so here's what Rehoboam does. He's trying to secure his kingdom. And when he tries to secure his kingdom, he opens the door for terrible decisions and listening to terrible counsel. Hear that again. Rehoboam is insecure. He's got this feeling something's not right. And he doesn't go to God. He tries to go to the people that he doesn't feel right about. And he tries to secure it. Like this is, he's trying to hold on to his kingdom because he knows something's not right. When you know something's not right in your life, the best, the best decision you can make is get into prayer with God, get alone with God. Some of you need to go to fasting and prayer get into God's word, get counsel from God's leaders in your local church. Because if you don't, you are a sitting duck for the temptations of the enemy, which will come to you in ways that you may not even recognize as of yet, as we don't even see here in verse 2 of second of uh, chapter 12 and 1 Kings. So it says this in verse 3, they sent and called him and Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, your father made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And then this is Rehoboam's response. He said to them, go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Okay, Jeroboam 
comes back and there's some um, issues here with the with the text uh, in in Hebrew. And when we see this, it says that they called him. That him is Jeroboam. So remember Jeroboam again in Egypt. Well, the northern tribes call him because he's kind of like he's kind of like the guy that they respect, right? Rehoboam must have known this because remember that his father Solomon went after to kill Jeroboam because he saw how the people, how well he was blessed and everything. And, and, he, and he got to see the, the writing on the wall. And so Jeroboam fled to Egypt to escape Solomon's um, attack. And so now he's called back by the Northern Kingdom to kind of be a representative, an, an attorney, if you will, for the Northern Kingdom. And their complaint is this, our burdens are hard. Your father laid a huge weight of work on us. He worked us to the bone. Now, we have been talking about so far in our study of First Kings that that's exactly what Solomon did. This is not hyperbole. Solomon uh, employed forced labor amongst the uh, foreigners who came to Israel, uh, even amongst some of the people of Israel. You know, Solomon was a builder. He was a go-getter. He was an entrepreneur and he was rich and he fattened himself and he fattened the kingdom on the backs of his own people and their labor. So they're overworked. They're tired. They're hurting. Rehoboam has a opportunity here. What's he going to do? How's he going to respond to the people who feel overworked by his father, his predecessor? Well, the text tells us how he responds and he makes one good move and then a terrible move. And so the good move is this verse six, then King Rehoboam took counsel with the who, with the old men. Now this is important. Let's look at how the text describes them. These are the men who stood before Solomon his father, while he was yet alive, saying, and then he says this to them, how do you, notice that pronoun, how do you advise me, notice that pronoun, to answer this people? Those pronouns are important. We're going to see that in just a while, in why in just a moment. Verse seven, and they said to him, if you will be servant to this people today, and notice their, notice their phrase here, and serve them, and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. So who does, Solomon, who does Rehoboam meet with? He meets with Solomon's advisors. Remember Solomon, the wisest man on earth. You have to know that his advisors who lived with him and watched him for 40 plus years rule uh, picked up that wisdom. They had godly wisdom as they hung out with a godly wise man. Now, perhaps some of them were tainted and everything like that, but this right here, we're supposed to understand these guys know what they're talking about and they do offer great advice, don't they? By the way, what do you want to look for in a leader, in a biblical leader? You want to look for what the elders say here. Uh, serve the people, speak good words to them, uh, find out how to help empower them. That's what biblical good leadership does. And Rehoboam, they, they literally serve it up for Rehoboam on a silver platter. Here's how you're going to establish yourself, young man. And here's how you're going to lead this people. But Rehoboam is not, not um, content with their answer. And look at how it uh, unpacks that for us in verse eight. But he abandoned the counsel that the old man gave him. So right away, we understand that he doesn't like this word from the elders because there's no um, weighing the option. He just leaves them. He abandons their counsel. He he takes counsel now, uh, the, the next part of the verse says, with the young men, notice the uh, qualifier here, who had grown up with him and stood before him. These are his 
These are his guys. These are his friends. And he said to them, what do you advise? Now look at the pronouns. What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? So pronouns and words in the Hebrew are very important. We have to pay close attention here. We are asked to see the contrast between how he asks the elders, right? Can we go back to that? Let's see. Um, Yeah. He says, how do you advise me to answer this people? Go back now to what he says to the young guys. What do you advise that we answer this people? What am I trying to point out here? What's the scripture trying to point out? Rehoboam rejects the elders because he identifies and he kind of codifies his relationship structure with the young men of his day. That's a bad thing. It's a bad thing in every generation because, and this is just a fact, and some of you might not like hearing this because you're young, but if you will listen to God's word, not my word, you'll be blessed. Young young people have great strength, but not much wisdom. The reason why they don't have much wisdom is because they haven't lived long enough. You know what gives you wisdom? Experience. (laughs) What gives you wisdom is life. Now, I understand. I understand that there are some outliers to that rule. Some people are absolutely supernaturally gifted with wisdom, as was Solomon. But you have to understand that the scripture has already unpacked for us that Solomon was exceedingly wise and his his. Uh, counselors, his, his fellows, were far more wiser than Rehoboam's fellows because none of them had lived during the reign of Solomon's high point. And traditionally, it has always been the, the healthiest way for society to survive is for the young to honor, listen to, and respect the elders. It is in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Now, sometimes you have a father and mother who's an outlier and they don't have any wisdom whatsoever because they didn't listen to their elders. I understand that. But if a generation does what God says and listens to God and is blessed by God and they succeed, it behooves the generation coming up under them to listen, to submit to their wisdom. And what we are lacking today in our generation, in this country, and it has been happening for 40 plus years, we have seen it. The younger members of the tribe rule over the older members of the tribe. Go to Isaiah chapter three. I'm in my own personal studies through Isaiah. And someday on the deep dive, I'm going to go through Isaiah because it is one of my favorite Bible books. In Isaiah chapter three, one of the judgments that God levels against the people as they they deteriorate spiritually is that he puts children in charge of them. He puts actually in a... Some of you are going to get offended by this, but it's true. He puts children and women in the place of authority over them. And it is a judgment of God. It is a judgment of God. And they are oppressed because there's not wisdom with the young. Now, some of you will say, well, doesn't Psalm, uh, I think it's eight, say that out of the mouth of babes comes wisdom? No. It says praise comes from the mouth of babes. (laughs) Okay. Um, That yes, those who are not wise in their own eyes can receive the wisdom of God, but it is those who are wise in their own eyes and don't have wisdom, the young, that are setting themselves up for years, if not decades of frustration. That is who these young men are with Solomon. Let's take a look at how they respond 
to, uh, I'm sorry, to Rehoboam, to Rehoboam's request. Verse 10, and the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus you shall speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, and look at this phrase, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your, your, your yoke. My father disciplined, with you, disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine talking to people like this? It's just case in point that Rehoboam has made a terrible decision that is rooted in his own insecurity. They're like, you need to prove yourself to these people. These are complainers, Rehoboam. And you need to tell them you're stronger than your father. You need to tell them that you're str- your little finger. And by the way, just so you know, the words little finger uh, in the text here, finger is not actually in the Hebrew. Uh, it could be my little one. And some commentators suggest that this is referring to another body part that belongs to a male, and I won't go any further than that, okay? What they are asking Solomon to do is to push himself forward, to prove himself, and to make strength uh, the key to his kingdom. Now, God has already established through Solomon that wisdom will build the house. Even one of the Proverbs says, by wisdom is a house built, right? And Rehoboam rejects that. No, 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 we're going to build our house by strength and power and my mighty arm. And I'm a bigger man than my father ever was. Did you also notice that these guys are asking Rehoboam to literally dishonor his father? If Rehoboam had familiarized himself with the law, the Ten Commandments about obeying and honoring your father and mother, he would have rejected this advice, but he doesn't listen to the law. Why? Because in his later years, Solomon did not listen to the law. And so that's probably the, uh, the example that he followed. But the point is this, you have a guy who is rejecting the law and listening to those who reject the law. Why? Here's this, here's the point, because he's insecure in his new position. He's feeling like he's not up to the task. And so he listens to the young because the young play on his pride and arrogance and self-reliance. And that's what young people do. That's what the world does. That is the mantra of our age. Believe in yourself. Trust your heart. Go with what you feel and think is right. <laughs> oh, friends, such nonsense. And you've got to avoid it. You don't know what's right. I don't know what's right. Listen, I'm not telling you things that I believe or think are right. I'm telling you what scripture teaches. Now, I believe them, okay? And I think they're right because it's in scripture. But please understand, you do not want to listen to what Tim has to say. You want to listen to what God has to say. And in our cultural moment today, in 21st century America especially, the go-with-your-gut mentality is straight from the devil. Following your conscience. Your conscience is corrupt. Your heart is evil. Jeremiah 17, 9, uh, the heart of man is desperately sick beyond cure. Who can understand it, right? You are not to be trusted. Your inner instinct is not to be trusted. And this is what the associates of Rehoboam literally play on when it comes to offering Rehoboam advice. You need to prove who you are and put yourself out there and step into it and step on them and, you know, force your way. That is the worst possible advice for anybody because you're going to make enemies faster 
than you realize. And that's exactly what happens to Rehoboam here in verse 12. So Jeroboam, this is verse 12. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, as the king said, come to me again on the third day. Verse 13. And the king answered the people harshly, forsaking the counsel that the old men had given him. He spoke to them according to the counsel of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips. I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people. For it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord spoke by Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam, the son of Nebai. Now, scripture informs us that this is all God's doing. But the point that we're supposed to understand here from verse 15 is that God will even use the pride of men to accomplish his purposes to discipline his people. God will use bad leaders. I know some of you don't get this, but it's true. And if I could just take an aside here and tell you that one of the best things that God ever did or allowed for me was to um, submit to and, and, and attend a church under a terrible leader, a leader that was arrogant, legalistic, and harsh. And actually, as I look back on it years later, it was spiritual abuse. It was manipulation. It, he was dividing parents from their children. It was disgusting. A small little church, Western Massachusetts, terrible. But that experience... God used tremendously in my life uh, to teach me what not to do as a pastor. Like, please, God, never let me do that. Never let me use spiritual authority to undermine parental authority, to undermine um, people's relationships within their families, to um, just rule over people. My, 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 ultimate goal because I went through it was to make sure that nobody else has to go through that. Have I been perfect in that endeavor? No, I'm a, I'm a flawed man just as everybody else is. But God did use that terrible leader that I was under to help shape me into someone different. And I, you got to think, sometimes you have to thank God for the bad experiences that you've had so that you can help others not experience them or walk through them as they go through them. That is literally what Jesus did for us. He experienced every temptation as we did. He experienced rejection. He experienced hostility from sinners. And that's why Hebrews says he experienced hostility from sinners so that you don't lose heart. He experienced the death of his father. He experienced the weeping of his mother. He experienced the rejection of his friends, the betrayal of a close friend, Judas. He experienced it all. Why? So that he can help walk us through it. He is a great high priest that is able to sympathize with our weakness, Hebrews says. And God is making you a kingdom of priests, just like Jesus. And so some of the hard things that you've gone through are so that you can be a better priest for the people that God has called you to serve and minister to. Anyway, I'm way off point. (laughs) So let's just take a look at how the people of Israel respond to Jeroboam in verse 16. And when all Israel heard that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, what portion do we have in David? What We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, David. So Israel went to their tents, but Rehoboam reigned over the people of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah. Just want you to notice, and this is huge. Listen to me, young person. No, 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 no. Listen to me, every person. (laughs) One bad decision took Rehoboam's kingdom down. But he lost 10 tribes in one three-day period because of one stupid choice. A kingdom that David, his grandfather, and Solomon, his father, had spent 80 plus years building is destroyed because of one foolish choice 
where he listened to who? The young people of his generation instead of the elders who had walked with his father in his heyday of following God's wisdom. I'm hoping that there is a young man listening to me right now and you are inundated with the messages of the young, inundated with the philosophy of our age, the follow your heart philosophy, the get well, the getting's good philosophy, the have it all philosophy. And I'm, I'm hoping that you are listening to the mistake here of Rehoboam. One choice undid 80 years of faithfulness. And that is the weight of the scripture for me. You've got to expect (laughs) these decision moments in your life where the choice is yours. Listen to those who have been there, done that, and are following God and have the wisdom of God or follow the crowd and the culture of your generation and wreck your life. Don't be a fool. Don't forfeit what you've built. Don't forfeit what others have built for you. If you come from a good family or you know you come from a church family where there's a lot of good, um, if you will, uh, faithful upbringing for you because of the benefits of that family. Anyway, one bad decision wrecks 80 years of faithfulness. And that's how it is, unfortunately, in the kingdom of God. That's why we do well to listen to the words of God and be warned, be challenged in the text or by the text. Okay, verse 18. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was taskmaster over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death with stones. And King Rehoboam hurried to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. Okay, again, we're going to go back and forth with that. So please don't get confused. The tribe of Judah, yes, is definite, but Benjamin will also stay uh, with the tribe of David. But the point is, is that we've got a a civil discord now because of this terrible decision to follow the wisdom of the young in Rehoboam. And that's what we're seeing today in our culture. Division is high. <laughs> and a lot of it has to do with the young are not respecting the elderly, the, uh, the aged, the wise. And it's growing. This division, this cultural disunity is growing because no one respects those who came before them. Some of them are not respectable. I understand that. But we have to realize that the people who have gone before us have some wisdom that can give some guidance to us. Uh, so anyway, King Rehoboam first makes this attempt to uh, send Adoram there to kind of like collect them into forced labor. They stone him to death. So they kind of like send this message. We're going to kill whoever you send to rule over us. Uh, verse 21, let's take a look at it. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen warriors. What does he do? To fight against the house of Israel, to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. And so Rehoboam is making the very natural choice here. He's like, I got to take the things into my own hands. I've got to fight for this now. And so he's got 180,000 chosen warriors. He's going to fight back. He's going to go to war, civil war. Here we come. I'm going to submit. I'm going to subdue these people back under my authority. Verse 22, but the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all of the house of Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people. Thus says the Lord, uh, you shall not go up or fight against your relatives, the people of Israel. Every man returned to his home, for this thing is from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and went home again according to the word of the Lord. So right now we have God kind of sparing Israel from a lot of death and a lot of blood. 
And Rehoboam, again, natural response, I'm going to fight for this. And God says, no, you're not. I'm doing this. And God reminds him through the prophet, this is from me. And he tells the people. And all the people listen. Like, this is really actually kind of cool. And it does set up the the uh, kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, for the picture of who you're going to have in the southern kingdom. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But the southern kingdom of Judah, even though it's smaller, will be a lot more faithful to the Lord in the long run, in spite of this moment and some terrible kings you're going to see, the kingdom of Judah, though smaller, is more faithful. So here's how it goes now with Jeroboam. Remember I said there's two guys, Rehoboam, Jeroboam. Rehoboam's stupid choice, that's act one. Uh, the almost civil war, that's act two. We're already at act, chapter, act three in this chapter, verse 25, Jeroboam. So it says this, Jeroboam, then Jeroboam, built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Peniel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, okay, here we go. He said, where? In his heart. Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. So he's worried in his heart. Jeroboam is following his heart. Listen, okay, listen. He's following his heart and his heart is telling him, oh, the people are gonna go back to David. That I might lose the people who are with me. This is his first, his first thought, having been given 10 tribes. According to the word of the Lord, by the way, who, which, which we referenced uh, earlier in 1 Kings 11, the prophet told him he was going to get these 10 tribes. He gets the 10 tribes and his heart tells him, uh-oh, you're going to lose this. This is the problem with listening to your heart. Your heart is irrational. Your heart will literally bury God's word out of, out of sight and cause you to make stupid, um, presumptuous decisions that are terrible in the long run. So he's listening to his heart and he has this imagination. He says, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose what I have. I'm going to lose what I have. (laughs) So crazy and cool, by the way, how scripture teaches us here in 1 Kings. Verse 27, if the people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, uh, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, the king of Judah. So the king took counsel. And notice that it says it doesn't say he took counsel with anybody else. He's probably just thinking to himself. He took counsel and made two calves of gold. Now we're going to talk about why that is the case. He took two cal- he took counsel, t- made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, "You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold, your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt." And he set one in Bethel, that's in the south, and one he put in Dan, that's in the northern part of the northern tribes. Again, remember that God sent His prophet to prophesy and tell Jeroboam, "You're getting." 10 tribes to rule over. And if you follow me, we could we could go back to chapter 11. I don't want to take that time to do that, but it was the promise of God. Well, yes, actually we can do it. It was the promise of God here in um, verse 38. If you will listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in, the, uh, in my eyes and keep my statutes and commandments as David did, I will be with you and I will build you a sure house just as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. This is the prophet speaking to Jeroboam. Jeroboam was promised an incredible opportunity, but he listened to his heart. And I would say the number one problem with your heart is that your heart loves to ignore scripture. <laughs> the human heart because it's desperately wick and sick, sick and wicked, it loves to reject the promises of God. Here's Jeroboam's first failure. He did not refamiliarize himself with God's promise. He followed his heart, that's stage two, and then he built idols to build his kingdom around himself, to secure for himself a kingdom. He's thinking in the natural. 
instead of um, meditating on the spiritual. And so he creates a system of worship. This is not to be missed. How does he speak to the people? He says, you've gone up long enough. Look at that in verse 28. You've gone up to Jerusalem, what? Long enough. Don't bother. That's a lot of work. You know, going to Jerusalem, that's a lot of work. You got to go all the way down into the southern kingdom. You got to go three times a year. It might be far for you. You know, Christianity, this is, I just <laughs> making a modern parallel. You know, the, the COVID shutdown, it taught you a lot about this, the need for safety and, and staying at home. You can watch it online. You, can, you don't have to go to church. You know, hey, hey look, you're getting the same word. Uh, you can sing the same song. And, and the devil will come and say, you know what? Do faith, fine. That's fine. Do faith, but do it in a way that is far more convenient for you. <laughs> that is the devil's temptation for all of God's people. Oh, believe in Jesus. Of course, believe in Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus is a great Lord and Savior, but don't be too serious about it. Like, don't take it too far. Uh, there are other well-meaning people in other religions, and God loves them too. See, this is a false faith that Jeroboam is starting to build up in the northern tribes of Israel. Because look what he says, behold your gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This should, um, if you're any sort of a Bible scholar at all, you should be having a little bit of a flashback here. Because what does he do? He makes two calves and he sets them up as idols. And then he tells Israel, these are your gods who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is, this is the exact same phrase that Aaron spoke to the people as Moses was up on the mountain getting God's law and the people started to engage in revelry and said, make us gods who will lead us back into Egypt because, you know, as for this man, Moses, we don't know what has become of him because he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And here's what Aaron does. It says he received the gold. This is Exodus 32. He received the gold from the hand of them, fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And then he said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. Now, I only give you this verse here. Tomorrow shall be a feast of the Lord. In addition to the fact that he's basically saying that the same thing that Jeroboam will say centuries later. Again, this is Exodus 32. This is 800 years earlier. What, what is Jeroboam doing, by the way? Uh, let me just pause here for a second and say this. He is rehashing old paganism. That's all the devil has. That's all the devil ever does. He just rehashes old lies. And this is exactly what Jeroboam does as he creates a more convenient, less stringent, less convincing or convicting religion, a religion that suits the people and their wants and their needs, caters to their, I don't know, apathy or laziness. And, and he just resurrects this old kind of impatient religion that, that Aaron practiced as they waited for God's word from Moses. And then he says, tomorrow should be a feast of the Lord. Why do I mention that? Because look at the very next verse, back to 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 30. This thing became a sin for the people. As, uh, this, uh, this thing became a sin for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. Those are the calves. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites and Jeroboam appointed. Again, we're supposed to see the parallels here. A feast on the 15th day of the eighth month. By the way, the true feast was on the 15th, 14th day of the seventh month. So he's postponing the feast. And it says, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel sacrificing to the calves that he had made. And he placed 
in Bethel, the priest of the high places that he had made, he went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th and the 8th month in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Oh, so much to the text. So wonderful how the text speaks. Okay. He's reviving an ancient paganism that Aaron practiced in waiting while they waited for the law from Moses. Number two, he appoints people as priests from all the tribes, not just the Levites. The Levites were supposed to be the only uh, tribe, uh, tribal priesthood. Jeroboam says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. That's old fashioned. That's on the quote unquote, I don't know, wrong side of history. We need to progress. The church needs to get with the time. You don't need a pastor. You can be your own pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need somebody to pray for you or lead you or guide you. Guide yourself. Do you see what's happening here? Modern religion, 101. The, the common refrain of today's young, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. I don't believe in organized religion, but I follow my heart. Yeah, okay, watch where that's going to lead you because we've got a, we've got a case study here in Jeroboam's life of how that goes down. And then notice the continued refrain in the text here uh, that he made, that three-phrase sentence, that, that three-word phrase that keeps getting uh, mentioned. Uh, the calves that he made, the high places that he had made. He went to the altar that he had made on the 15th day in the month that he had devised. Okay, this is, this is self-soothing religion. It is nothing new. It is nothing new. You, you, the people today in America who are saying, I'm spiritual, not religious. You are practicing the oldest religion in the book. That goes all the way back to Cain. Cain offered in the course of time some of the leftovers of his, of his increase to God. Right? It says Abel offered his first fruits, his firstborn. But Cain in the course of time, this is all in Genesis chapter 4. In the course of time, when he got around to it, he, gave, he threw God some, some, some offerings. This is the oldest religion in the book. It is nothing new. Syncretized, corrupted, uh, watered down religion is as old as Cain. I want you to think about that. So when we think, and this is a very common um, belief of modern uh, deconstructing Christians, that's a big phrase in the evangelical subculture, deconstructing my faith, and I'm going to pick and choose what I want to believe about the Bible, and I'm going to reject the things that are offensive to me, not to you, but to really your culture, because you're too afraid to stand for what you believe. And, and this is what's happening now with the many people who are walking away or kind of watering down their faith in Christ and still considering themselves Christians. You're not novel. That's my point. You're not novel. You're doing nothing new. You are just following your heart. You're setting up altars just like Jeroboam did. And your altar is going to come crashing down. And it's going to come crashing down quickly. And we're going to see that next time on the deep dive. But all that to say is, what's the root issue here for Jeroboam? Do you know what this issue is? This issue for Jeroboam is insecurity. This is why you don't want to listen to your heart. Young people, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. You don't want to listen to your heart because your heart is tremendously insecure about who you are. Your, your heart not only doubts God, it doubts you. Your heart not only doubts what God says, it doubts what you can do. And if you listen to it, it will lead you into all forms of idolatry and a watered down Christianity or religious structure that will suit your needs and feelings and sensitivities 
but will ultimately not empower you or instruct you or give you um, a long-lasting, healthy life. That's what this text is teaching us. So breaking it down, we have two kingdoms that are represented now because of this division. The kingdom of Judah. And let me unpack this. Judah is one tribe. They get, and we're going to study this, 19 kings, two of which we already mentioned, Solomon and Rehoboam. They get one queen. Uh, they have a mixture of good and bad kings and, uh, and the queen. They have one dynasty, the, the line of David. They have one temple. They have one sacrificial system. They have one priesthood. And this North, southern kingdom will last 344 years. Consider the alternative, which I call the watered-down version. This is the, this is the half-hearted. These are the lukewarm. These are the Laodiceans, if you will. Ten tribes, 19 kings, and one Jezebel. All the kings of Israel are bad. Like all the kings of Israel are evil and they are getting, they go from bad to worse. There's nine dynasties, not one. There's three temples. There's multiple sacrificial systems. Basically, everybody is their own priest. Everybody can do whatever they feel is right. And they last almost half the time, 209 years. Both kingdoms will fall, but one kingdom will last almost twice as long and will resurrect after the exile, that is the kingdom of Judah, and will receive the Christ. Okay, I cannot stress this enough. The follow your heart, make Christianity work according to what you feel religion is anathema, it is destructive, it is dangerous, and it is unbiblical. Which one, which kingdom are you a part of? Are you in the Judah camp? One God, one faith, one baptism, one Lord, right? That's what Paul talks about. One body. Or are you in the Israel camp? I want a Christianity that fits my needs. I want a Christianity that goes with the flow, that morphs with my cultural sensitivities because, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of like, you know, live as a Christian in a world that's kind of getting more and more uh, anti-Christian. Let me unpack this more deliberately for you on these two kingdoms. The kingdom of Judah is a faith that gives to God's causes. I, I remember when David is building the temple and he buys the land from um, Aruna and he says, Aruna says, you know, take it for free. I'll give it to you. And he says, no, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to offer to God that which costs me nothing. That's at the last part of 2 Samuel. I'm not going to give God what costs me nothing. Christianity always has a cost. We get salvation for free, but Jesus himself invites us to count the cost, okay, to understand what it means then to follow Christ. You're going to lay down your life, your wants, your dreams, your ambitions, your values, your faith system, your beliefs, right? And you're going to align them with God. You're going to give to God, okay? And then um, the kingdom of Judah is a faith that stands apart from the world. You're, you're not interested in being friends with the world. James chapter two, if you are a, or four, if you're a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. And then a faith that serves others. Like, let me be here for other people. That is the Judah kind of kingdom. Let's talk about the kingdom of Israel, a faith that builds my kingdom. It's about me. And a lot of modern day preaching is really just motivational speaking. So that, and preachers know how to do that. Trust me when I say this, I'm a preacher and I'm telling you this. There's a lot of YouTube celebrity preachers that know how to tickle your ears because they know that if they tickle your ears, you will come to their church and give them money. And they tickle your ears by building you up and making you the center of the story and making the Bible about you. And God is all about you. And this is a faith that builds your kingdom. It is a kingdom. Number two, it is a faith that accommodates false believers and pagans. 
Uh, that's why I believe that the COVID pandemic literally pruned the church and got a lot of these people out of the church because they weren't coming for Christ. They were coming for themselves. They were more tied to the ideologies of the culture than they were to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they didn't come back to church. That's why church attendance is still much lower than it was pre-pandemic because the people were kind of just exposed for not really following the Lord. They were following their own, you know, paganism, their own quasi-Christian paganistic beliefs. And then number three is that the kingdom of Israel is a faith that appeals to my wants and needs. The church needs to be there for me. I want to know where my gifts fit in this church. I want to know where I can be served. How is the word blessing me? These are the people of Israel and they will not last long and it goes poorly for them. Okay, all that to be said, we've gone through the text. Now let's tap into the truth because we have got some great truth from chapter 12 of 1 Kings. Let's go. Okay, what do we have here in 1 Kings chapter 12? We have two men struggling with insecurity. That's really what we have. And you will have this problem in your own life. Don't fool yourself. Rehoboam's insecurity is he's young and he's inexperienced and he's following Solomon. And some of you are there. You're young, you're inexperienced, you don't know what you're doing with your life. You have no clue how you're going to manage whatever your situation is right now. And you have every right, by the way, to be insecure. That's a good place to be. It's not necessarily an evil place. It's just what you do in that place, okay? Uh, Jeroboam's insecurity is about his calling and God's promises. God had spoken to Jeroboam. God had promised Jeroboam. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna bless you. I'm I'm gonna establish your family like I established David's family. And in spite of God's promise, he felt insecure. He did not root himself in the promises of God. He followed his heart. So let's talk about Rehoboam's insecurity. First off, he felt like he had to prove himself. And nothing will capsize your faith more than feeling like you have to prove yourself. You have to put yourself out there. You have to go and get it. Nobody's going to give it to you. These mantras of, of modern business imagination are, are terrible mantras of faith. You, you don't have to prove yourself. If you're in Christ, you do not have to prove yourself because God has shown and demonstrated his love for you in dying for you in Jesus Christ, his son. Then it caught, because he felt like he had to prove himself, it caused him to listen to fools. So my question to the Rehoboams out there is, who do you listen to? You have two options, the young, the old, the wise, the foolish. And if you're not careful, you will reject the wisdom of the aged and the experienced in favor of the pride and arrogance of the young. And my second question here under that is, who do you identify with? If you're a young and experienced person, make sure that you are deliberately spending time with people who have been there, done that, and walked with the Lord for years. This is why God gives you a church and elders to that church. This is why Ephesians chapter four says, and God gave, and Jesus gave gifts to men, pastors, shepherds, teachers, prophets, evangelists. These, These gifts that God gives to the church are so that we might grow up into Christ. But so many people capsize their faith and their development because they do not want to submit to a church, attend a church regularly, and listen to the pastors and the elders. They want to do faith according to their own feelings. They want to be little spiritual Jeroboams. And they are unproductive and they don't last because they, they suffer harm. Proverbs thirteen twenty: whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companions of fools will suffer harm. So you've got to identify yourself with the right people. You've got to surround yourself with wise people. Where do they come from? Local churches that preach the gospel. Yes, elders. Trust those people. If you're in an abusive church, no, right? Abusive church people, they, you know, they push you down. They, uh, they gossip, they slander, they do all those kinds of things. They play favorites. There's a clickiness to them. That's not, what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about healthy churches that open the Bible, 
preach the word, offend you sometimes, like challenge your faith sometimes. Speak God's word plainly. You, can, you know you're in a good church when the pastor opens the Bible on the stage and reads a lot of it and supports everything he says with scripture. You know you're in a terrible church when it's a lot of stories, anecdotes, jokes, and it's his philosophy of life. And then he kind of like references a portion of a passage out of context. <laughs> that, that, that's a, a bad place to be. Get yourself with wise people who understand that God's word is the authority in their life. And this will save you so much harm, save you from your own insecurity. Okay, let's talk about Jeroboam's insecurity because he's also got some insecurity in this text. A little bit more detailed about Jeroboam's insecurity. Number one, remember that he received God's word, yet he failed to believe it. And when he did that, he leveraged creative things to secure his own kingdom. This is where idolatry comes from. Idolatry is when we expect something created to do the job of the creator. So he establishes idols in the land. These idols take hold of the people's hearts and he sees it. And so I, I think about modern day preaching that, that tickles people's ears and says, look, if you give to God, he's going to give to you. <laughs> uh, look, if you, if you uh, join our church, your, your life is going to go further, faster. All of these kind of like business mantras to make you the center of your story. The, the idolatry of success, the idolatry of money, the idolatry of love and meaningfulness. And these things that pastors can play on your, your loves, created things to build their kingdom. Be careful about this. And then the result is a syncretized, syncretized religion that God literally will destroy. It will not last. You know what the, the number one problem though too with Jeroboam is that he started to the reason why he manufactured this religious system was because it suited his ambitions that were rooted in his insecurity in God's word. And it is a warning for us. If you don't get secure in God's word and his promises for you, you will turn to the created things to secure your own kingdom. And then you will use those things in a religious mindset, in a, in a spiritual way to establish yourself. Uh, Dale Raff Davis Dale Ralph Davis, sorry, talking about 1 Kings chapter 12 and Jeroboam's religion says this, if you cannot trust God, you will use religion. If you cannot trust God, you will use religion. What is he talking about? He's talking about looking, putting this form of faith forward that is centered on you, that picks and chooses what you want to believe, that plays this economic game with God, that I will go to church so that God will bless me. I will give to the kingdom so that God will bless me. I will do this so that I will have that. That is an economic relationship with God. That is not what he's interested in. He is not your broker. Uh, he is not your banker. He is your father and he loves you. And sometimes fathers discipline and take things away. Sometimes fathers punish. Sometimes fathers um, uh, deprive because of their love for their children, because they love the character of their children more than the contents of their children's wallets. That's what God wants for you. So my question today, two questions that I want to unpack with you for the next few moments is this. What is your, what is your current insecurity? What's, what's, what are you struggling with right now? And then the second question, what should I do about it? So let me unpack these two questions first. Uh, first one here, what is your current insecurity? Can I just say something that I hope helps? Every stage of life offers a new insecurity. Every stage. When you're young, you're insecure because you're young. When you're old, you're insecure because you're old. You're a male. Right now, the culture is telling you females are more important. You're female. 
I don't know, historical patriarchy has told you you're lesser than, whatever it is. Everyone, secondly, everyone has an insecurity right now. There is not a single person on the earth that is totally secure. Well, except the psychopaths. <laughs> because they just don't, their brains are not working properly. Every thinking normal person has insecurity. Uh, talking to my son about ministry and exploring that for his life. And, you know, he wasn't feeling secure because he's young. I said, you know, Pat, you know, you know, Connor, this is my son's name. Uh, I said, I'm getting to my middle ages and I'm thinking, man, my young days are behind me. And now I'm feeling like a, a different insecurity. Like, have I been in this game too long? Am I, am I on the downside of my career? I'm on the back nine of my career, right? That's, so the point is that you're never going to escape the feeling of insecurity. It's just what you do in response to it. Be careful that you, that you handle your insecurity, which is totally natural, not with natural responses, but with supernatural power from God, because you're not alone. You're not alone. So what should you do about it? Three L's. Learn from those who have been there before you. These are elders, pastors, leaders, people who have lived a life of faithfulness before God. You've seen it. They are convinced that God's way is the way. They don't water down their faith. They don't play games with God. They are committed. Get around these people. They are out there. You're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to diligently look for them, but they are there. Number two, lean into God's promises again and again and again. You've got to go back to the word. You've got to read it and reread it and reread it and reread it and reread it because it does not always, you don't always catch everything immediately. Um, my, my pastor, Pastor Geyser, Pastor Thomas Geyser says that some things are taught, but most things are caught. In other words, you can listen to it and listen to it and listen to it and be taught it, but you won't catch it until sometime in the future. Then lose yourself. That's the third, third L. Lose yourself. Yeah. Instead of worrying about preserving yourself, lose yourself. Matthew 16, 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like this is what Jesus is setting you free from. The need the need to control everything and make everything about you and establish your kingdom. Look, it's not your kingdom. It never will be your kingdom. It's God's kingdom. So the great promises of the gospel are that God loves you, that God knew you before you were born, before the foundation of the earth, he chose you. God does have a plan for you and a purpose for you. And it's not going to go everything according to how you imagine it to be. And along the way, you're going to feel moments of great insecurity. But if you settle it right now, that your life is not your own, it is his, you're going to find true life in Christ. This was Paul's mantra. This was Paul's mantra. And it empowered him to change the world. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or Acts 20, 24, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of, of the grace of God. Or Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a life surrendered to God's purpose and plan so that even in my insecure moments, if I just, if I, if I ignore, okay, what culture is telling me, I've got to ignore it. I've got to ignore what my heart is telling me. And I've got to saturate my ears and mind in the word of God so that God will speak to me. Listen to spiritual leaders whom God has put over me 
and trust the process that God has in store for me, right? This is how you handle insecurity. So I thought I would end this episode with a gift for you. I, it might be a gift. I don't know if it's a gift. You can consider it a gift. I call it the prayer of the insecure saint. <laughs> when you are feeling insecure, I would just challenge you to pray something along these lines. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of rote prayers. Please don't, you don't have to say this word for word, but you might want to. It's what I just prayed over myself and kind of wrote down to help you and guide you in prayer for your own insecurities. Here it is. Father, I have never been here before and I have no idea what I'm doing, but I choose today to trust you, to listen to your word and to do what it says, even if it hurts or costs me. I believe this moment is temporary and that you give power to the powerless. May your kingdom come and will be done through this season of my life. And may Jesus Christ, your son, get all the glory from my story. Amen. Like that is how you should pray through these moments, right? Then get yourself under godly leadership, get your heart rooted in the word of God and get through it because everybody goes through uh, insecure moments in every stage of life and it's never going away. But if you don't take ownership of that moment, you will fall prey to the mistakes of Rehoboam and Jeroboam and it will cost you. And that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to be strong and established in his grace, in his love, and in his purposes. And that's my prayer. That's my prayer for you and for everybody listening. Thanks for being here, guys. I'm so glad and so privileged to bring this content to you. If you are blessed by this channel, support it by uh, doing the Cash App thing or timhatchlive.com slash support. Cash tag is dollar sign Tim Hatch Live. Any amount, free digital first chapter of my book coming out, monthly givers, I call you the dependables. You get the free copy of the book, paper copy, when it comes out. I don't know when it's coming out, but I am looking forward to it. Another way you can support the channel is very simple, is liking the content on YouTube, sharing the video on your social media channel, and of course, subscribing. And if you do any of those three things, I highly appreciate them. I appreciate you, and I pray for you that God will lead you from insecurity, where you probably should be as a human, to security, in his unending, never and never failing love and grace for you. God bless. Have a good night.